Well, we're continuing our study in the book of Colossians. I want you to grab your Bibles, your phones, and turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3. I want to say today the topic that we're going to speak on is a sensitive one. And if you have children that are in elementary or below, you know, kind of that age bracket, this might be a good opportunity to go ahead and take them back to children's ministry because the, the topic may not be appropriate for them. If they're in junior high, it's a, it's a call. We're going to talk about sexuality today. So if you'd like to take them to their class, there's a junior high class going on. You can take them there or you can leave your junior high students in. Um, but today we're going to talk about something. You know, sometimes when it comes to the scripture, we, we address a topic and we go to the Bible to find out what it is that the Bible says about that topic. But we've been doing an expository study through the book of Colossians. And so today... I didn't pre-plan it this way. It just happened. This is what the text is. And so we're going to talk about what Colossians has to say about sexuality and other things. And so I just want to prepare you for that. Um, You know, in 1978, the Colossus was unveiled at Magic Mountain. And at the time, it was the tallest, it was the largest wooden roller coaster in the world. Colossal. That word colossal means big, massive, significant. And you know what? This study, as we've been going through the series... In the book of Colossians, we've learned that the message is colossal. It's significant. It's important. Paul was concerned for a young church that was thriving in Colossae, a city in Asia Minor, now present-day Turkey. And so I'm not going to review what I taught on a few weeks ago. We went through chapter 1. We went through chapter 2. Today we're going to dive into chapter 3. And I'm going to have to break up chapter 3 into a few different sections. And we're going to continue it for the next few weeks. I want you to stand to your feet as we read this passage. Paul was concerned because the church was being influenced by a couple false teachings and by the culture of the day. And today as we address this topic you're going to realize, we're going to understand that the culture of today is counterculture of what God's scripture has to say. I know about you, but I want to build my life on the foundation, not of what everyone thinks is right, but on the truth, the word of God. So I want you to read this with me, and this is actually the theme verse for our year. The Lord gave me this passage as we were looking at the concept of looking up, changing our perspective to an eternal perspective, rather a heavenly perspective rather than an earthly one. So let's all read this together. And those of you joining us online, we're so glad you're with us. We have people in Great Britain, Nashville, Tennessee, Paral, Mexico, Phoenix, Arizona, Albuquerque, New Mexico, all over the world. We're just so glad you're joining us today. I want you to read this passage with me, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. You see, the scripture is saying it's time to look up, to live up to not live down, not to live life from the perspective of now and humanity and what's happening in our culture, but to view things and live life from a heavenly perspective. So I want you to close your eyes right now as we pray. Those of you joining us online, why don't you close your eyes in your home. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we say have your way in this place right now. We need you. I need you, Lord. Sometimes, God, I stand here and I feel so unqualified to speak but God I'm not standing in my 
knowledge and my wisdom. I'm standing in what your word says. And so, Lord, today, let your voice be strong. Let your message be bold. Soften our hearts to hear truth. Say this with me. Say, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated today. Now, as I said the word sexuality, a lot of you got nervous because we're going to address a subject that often isn't talked about in church. Recently, it has been because of some of the rulings by the Supreme Court and other things in the media. It reminded me of a story. I heard a story about an elderly lady who was 85 years of age, and she was driving down the freeway with several of her friends who were also in their 80s. A policeman pulled them over and he walked up to the woman and he said, ma'am, do you realize you're only driving 35 miles an hour? She said, well, of course, officer. He said, well, why are you driving so slow? And she said, well, young man, look at the sign. It says 35. He looked over at the sign and he goes, kind of laughed and said, ma'am, that's not a speed limit sign. That's a sign telling you that you're on highway 35. And she kind of laughed and said, oh, well, thank you, officer. And then he looked around the car and he, was, he noticed that all of the women in the car who were driving with this 85-year-old lady were nervous. And he said, ma'am, can I ask you a question? Why is everyone so nervous in your car? She laughed and said, that's probably because we just got off of I-95. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you're nervous today... About our topic, relax, we're going to dial it down from Highway 95 down to Highway 35, all right? But we're going to address the topic. You see, as we dive into the rest of Colossians, what happens is Paul begins to emphasize you need to change your mentality. That's kind of what he was doing in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And as he goes into chapter 3, he gets a little bit more specific. And so I want to talk to you about this theme. This is the big bumper sticker for the weekend that you need to walk away with, all right? It's simply this, we need a heavenly perspective about sex. We need a, I don't want to be the only one saying sex, so say this with me, ready? <laughs> we need a heavenly perspective about sex. Thank you, I'm not the only one saying it. I want to read to you now, right after Paul says, change your perspective to a heavenly perspective, let's look what he has to say. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, and let me just say, underline sexual immorality or highlight that. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, also underline this, impurity. Underline this, lust and evil desires, underline that. Don't be greedy, underline that. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world because these sins, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. What I want to do is I want to break down these four words really quickly for you, give some understanding of what did Paul mean when he said, put to death sexual immorality. Um, impurity, lust and evil, desire, and greed. Let me tell you what sexual immorality is. This is a Greek word where we get our word, um, it's pornea, we get our word pornography. And it's the word often used in other translations, fornication. But basically, here's what it is, sexual sin. 
Now, I don't have a lot of time to dive into that, but let me just give you some definitions in the Bible of what sexual sin is. Sexual sin, and this one will catch all of the young people off guard, and that is sex before marriage is sexual immorality. Also, adultery, obviously, is sexual sin. Homosexuality is sexual sin. Things like bestiality, sexual sin. But it goes on really farther. As we look into this passage, you'll discover that viewing porn, sexual sin. Fantasizing, sexual sin. Self-gratification, sexual sin. So when Paul says, listen, I want you to put to death these things. I want you to view this topic from a heavenly perspective and put to death. He's saying, I want you to stop sexual sin. And then he goes on to the next one, and that is impurity. Now, what does that mean? Well, it moves from the act of to the mind. Because impurity basically means a mindset filled with impure thoughts or dirty thinking. So he's saying, I don't just want you to stop these acts of sexual impurity. I want you to stop the thinking about the acts of sexual impurity. And he goes to the next word, which is lust and evil desires. Those two words are very similar, and they basically mean a smoldering passion craving for satisfaction. Then it goes from there to greed, and the word greed can be interchanged with the word covetousness. And the word covetousness means a desire for something forbidden. This particular word, greed or covetousness, is a Greek word called pleonexia, which means desire for what is not yours. In fact, one Greek writer wrote this. He said, this word of greed or covetousness can be defined as you might as easily satisfy it as you can filling a bowl with a hole in it. So we move, as you look through the pattern of what Paul's teaching, it goes from the act of sexual immorality to thinking about sexual immorality to the desire for it to covetousness. And I'm going to break all of that down a little bit more as we dive in. Y'all still with me? Say amen. All right, so don't, don't click and change channels on me, all right? Hang in there and let's get through why does God want us to view sexuality from a heavenly perspective and not buy into the world's perspective? Why is it not okay to view porn? Why is it not okay to have sex with someone before you get married? If you love each other and maybe you're going to get married anyway or maybe you just need to see if it's a, you know, the, the right kind of relationship that you want or why is it not okay to do some of these things? They feel good. We enjoy them. Is it simply that God is a party pooper? How many know every party has a pooper? That's why we invited you, party pooper. Is God a party pooper? Why does he say, put to death sexual sin? Well, as I begin to look at the passage and as I begin to dive into this, I think there are two reasons. I'm going to give you two big reasons why God wants us to change, why Paul is so concerned about the Colossians that he writes a letter and Epaphras travels 1,300 miles one direction to bring this message to say, don't buy in to the culture. You realize that at this time in culture, it wasn't like America where we have traditional family values. It was Greek culture, and in Greek culture of that day, there was no sexual boundaries. 
It was not a big deal to have affairs or to have relationships with other people outside of your marriage. In that culture, they had temple prostitutes, male and female. So you had people involved in homosexuality, in, in orgies, and all kinds of things. There, there were really was no boundaries sexually at that time. So when Paul's writing, the culture is even worse than it is today. So Paul's saying, listen, don't allow yourself to slip in to and buy into the mindset of your world, of your culture. Why? Is God a party pooper? No. Here's what God is. God's not a party pooper. Ready? Here's kind of the, the point. Write this down. God is a protector. God is a protector because here's what he says. He says, put to death all of these things because of these things, sexual sin, the anger of the Lord is coming. Just going to make a, a statement. I believe it's truth. We find it in scripture. Unrepented habitual sin will bring consequence. Can I say that again? Now notice the phrase. Unrepented, continual, or habitual sin will bring consequence in your life. It says in James chapter 1, verse 15, it talks about our evil desires, temptation. In verse 15, it says, these desires give birth to sinful actions. Kind of follows the pattern here, right? Like we saw a moment ago, the act... The mind, you think about it, the desire, because you, and then, right, all of that. It says, because of these desires, they give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it will bring death. You know, when we're driving down the freeway, have you ever seen guardrails? How many have ever seen guardrails on the side of the road? Now, when you're young and... Maybe you've got a four-wheeler, a big you know, four-wheel drive or something, and you see those guardrails. You, I don't know about you, but I've thought at times, man, those stupid guardrails, I want to go four-wheeling. But I can't because the guardrails are there. But I think the guardrails are there to squash my fun, not realizing that the guardrails are there to keep me alive. <laughs> Because if I go off-road, I'm probably going to break an axle, I'm going to tip over, there's something that's going to hinder or damage my car or my life, and so the guardrails are a boundary, and when God says, listen, I want you to change your mindset about sexuality, and I want you to follow these principles, he's doing it to protect you, and here's why. Write this down, because sexual sin affects you. Not me, Pastor Jared. It doesn't affect me. Listen, can I tell you what it says in 1 Corinthians? It's really clear. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Listen, sexual sin will affect you. Now, we know there's disease, we know there's unplanned pregnancies, we know there's emotional pain, we know that there's jealousy and trust issues that come from that, but we also know the Bible says there's spiritual dullness. In Romans chapter 1, verse, or in Romans chapter 1, it tells us that when you continue in sexual sin, what happens is you're turned over to a reprobate mind and your conscience is seared and suddenly now you're not sensitive to God anymore and you don't have a conscience anymore. Listen, sexual sin will affect you. You know, there's, 
there's some interesting science to back this up. You know, there is a um, chemical in the brain called oxytocin. Oxytocin is a chemical that is released in the body when you have a, a sexual arousal or intimate experience. And what that chemical does is it releases a bonding experience. So God intended and designed you that when you were involved sexually, that it created a bonding in that moment. So if I took, for instance, some duct tape and I put it on the wall and then I tore it off and then I came back and I decided I needed to put it somewhere else to hold something together, how many know that when I put it on the second thing, it won't be as sticky as it was on the first thing? And how many know that if I tear it off again and then I go to the next thing that I need it to hold together, I stick it on there and it's not going to be as sticky because it's lost its ability to connect because the more it continues to be used... It's lost its connection capability. And what happens in the sexual realm is that God gave you something to help you bond. So when you are in a premarital relationship and you're having sex with different people, you're losing your ability emotionally to connect with someone for the long term. Not only that, if you're involved in sexual sin in other ways, viewing porn or doing other things, you're creating a bonding experience that is going to affect, listen, it will, sexual sin will affect you. Let me give you another example. I heard a pastor share this. It's a great idea. And this, um, you see, and I'm not trying to, to bag on premarital sex today because really sexual sin invades every aspect of, of our society. And, but let's say, let's just use premarital sex for a minute, all right? Say you're a young person here and you're like, Pastor, I don't know. My friends do it. I don't see what the big deal is. And, but let me tell you, here's why sexual sin, premarital sex, or let's say, uh, an, you know, adultery, or let's say, um, well, we could go down the list, homosexuality, whatever it might be. You see, the reason God is wanting you to change your perspective and to have sex be a part of, you see, many times people think that sex is about a, a certificate. Well, pastor, it's just a piece of paper, and I love this person anyway, and we're probably going to get married anyway, so we're just waiting for a piece of paper to be signed. Listen, let me stop and tell you, whether it's the homosexual issue or it's premarital sex, marriage is not about a certificate. Marriage is about God's blessing. And what God wants us to do is to be positioned to experience His blessing. And so what happens, here's what happens. Let's say that a couple decides, you know what, we're going to just experiment sexually together and see if, you know, that we're supposed to be together and if this feels right and so on and so. What happens? They leave. And let me just say, when you begin sexual sin, what happens is it, it begins to create, and here's the thing, it creates an appetite that God never intended you to have. Because when you have premarital sex, what happens is there's an adrenaline that comes with that because you're kind of sneaking around. Because see, listen, when you start sexual sin, it opens the door to all kinds of other sins. I'll give you an example. Probably if your child, or when you were young, if you were involved sexually with someone before you were married, you didn't go to your parents and say, hey, I'm picking up Sally, we're going out to have sex, we'll be back at 11. <laughs> right? So what do we do? We lie. So we've opened the door. Sexual sin now has opened the door to deception and lying. So we say, hey, we're going to go to the movies. We'll be back. 
And then when we go to have sex, there's a little bit of an adrenaline that comes because we're doing something we shouldn't do. And what happens is now we've started creating an appetite that God never intended us to have. So then the couple that's together, right, they have this adrenaline, this appetite, and then they get married. Say they do stay together, they do get married. Well, now when they have sex, there's no thrill in it anymore because the appetite isn't being fed that was started and created at the beginning. So after a little while now, suddenly the guy is saying, well, you know what, I don't really have that spark or feeling anymore when I'm with her. Maybe I'm not really in love with her. Maybe she's not really the one. So then they start, you know, flirting with someone on the side because now they're getting that appetite again. And what happens is, is God doesn't want you to have those appetites. So he doesn't want you to open the door because when you open the door, and so now what happens? He ends up having an affair and then he ends up with that woman, divorces the other one, he's with the new one, and then guess what? Six months later, the spark isn't there anymore because the appetite has never been fed. And the reason is because you have an appetite that God never intended you to have. We can do the same thing with any other sexual sin. God is protecting you so that you'll stick. He's protecting you so that you'll have the right appetite. He's protecting you so that you can be in a relationship that is loving and lasting and will be fulfilling. God protects you. That's why he said change your perspective. Y'all with me? Say amen. You know, second thing is God is protecting you because sin affects you. Here's the other little thing. Not only does sexual sin affect you, sexual sin affects, now this is a big one, your family. Well, not me, pastor, because I haven't done anything. I've thought about some things. It's all just in my mind. I haven't done it, but it's in my mind. Let me stop first of all and say sexual sin won't just affect you. If you think that's the truth, then the enemy's deceived you. Look at David. David, he sinned sexually, and what happened? His children, one of them, raped another half-sister. There was murder. Absalom tried to steal the kingdom. Absalom killed a brother. Look at all of the other sins that came from the open door of sexual sin. You see, sexual sin doesn't just affect you, it affects your family. And I know many of you are saying, well, Pastor Jared, wait a minute, I haven't really acted. I'm one of the good guys, or I'm one of the good ladies. I haven't acted on this. Well, let me talk to you a minute about sin. There's two types of sin, and, and you know here at this church, we don't always focus on the sin. We like to focus on the grace and the power and the strength, but sometimes we need to be filled with truth to help us fight sin. Somebody say Amen. Here's two types of sins. The first one we're familiar with, transgressions. Here's what the word transgressions mean. A transgression means to step over or to trespass. It's outward movement. It's the action. But you know, that's not the only sin that we see in the Bible. You know what the other sin is in the Bible? I mean, there's several types of sin, but it's not just transgressions. It's iniquity. How many have heard of that sin, iniquity? You know what iniquity means? It's the inside thought or motivation. So transgression is the outward action. Um, iniquity is the inside thought. So let's say premarital sex or adultery or whatever is transgression. Lust is iniquity. 
You want to hear a sobering verse? I'm going to share with you a sobering verse right now. Because in the beginning of the scripture in Exodus chapter 20, God's speaking to his people and he tells them, I want to send you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And there's some guidelines, there's some guardrails that I want to give you. And if you'll follow these, you'll be blessed. But if you don't, here's the bad news. If you don't follow my principles and you allow habitual, continual, unrepented sin, it will affect you. It will bring death. And so here's what he says. Exodus chapter 20 verse 5, he says, I will visit the iniquities. Everybody say iniquities. I will visit iniquities of the fathers onto the children of the third and fourth generation. Notice he doesn't say transgressions. So if we bring this into sexual sin, he's not saying, listen, if you're an adulterer, that is going to be passed on to your kids. He's saying, if you think about adultery, it could impact your children. Sexual sin doesn't just affect you. Sexual sin affects your family. In fact, what's in your heart will end up in your children's hand. What's in your heart could potentially end up in challenge and issue and, and struggle and weakness in all of your children and all of your grandchildren. We know of generational curses. That's why what God's saying is, listen, when he says, you know, put to death not just sexual immorality, the acts, put to death the, the impurity, the thinking about it, and put to death the desire that causes you to think about it, and then even go all the way back to covetousness from the very beginning. Put it to death. Don't even let it live. Kind of reminds me of uh, this progress. I'll, I'll go back to this process. Y'all still with me? Say amen. Um. I went to a, a kind of a trendy restaurant in L.A. this week. I had a pastor call me. He was flying in from Florida, and he wanted me to do some coaching and encouraging to him, give him some tips on his church. And so he, he gave me a restaurant to go to, and I'd never been there. And so we showed up at this restaurant, and I was trying to eat better. Anybody ever had one of those seasons, you know, for a day? And... Um, <laughs> And so I'm like, I'm going to eat good today. I've been kind of eating bad. And so we sit down and they come and they order and I order a salad with some, you know, meat, protein on it and light on the dressing. And, you know, he orders salmon and he's eating healthy too. And then without us realizing it, he brought bread to the table. <laughs> and right when he did, I was, I was, I was going to look at my friend and say, hey, we need to get rid of this bread. But he got up and went to the bathroom. And so I'm sitting there. <laughs> and the smell is wafting up towards me. Pretty soon, I, I, I find myself trying not to look at it. And I can't help myself. I start staring at the bread. And as I look at it, it's like the most incredible bread I've ever seen. I mean, it's... <laughs> Have I ever been there? I mean, uh, it, looked, it looked like, have you ever had a donut that was fresh, like a, a glazed, really thick donut, kind of that squishy, kind of, that's what it looked like, but it had like garlic cloves and, and it, it was like sweet, salty, all in the same. And I'm looking at it, now I'm staring at it, I'm studying it, the next thing I know, my stomach is making sounds. He comes back and he sits down. He said, what's going on? I'm like, dude, have you seen the bread? 
And he goes, no, I didn't really pay attention. And he starts staring at the bread. And he's like, man, I'm not supposed to be eating bread. I'm like, I'm not either. But what if we never come back to this restaurant ever again? <laughs> this may be the best bread I have ever, that we've ever tasted. And we'll miss it. And he's like, get the bread. <laughs> I eat a whole piece. It was, it was some of the best bread I've ever tasted. It's called bread, it's called bread immorality. Because once I started looking at the bread, then I started desiring the bread. Then I started thinking about the bread. And then I started eating all the bread. And that's exactly what Paul says, put to death. Covetousness, what's that word? It's the word we find in the Ten Commandments. And you notice when he introduces the, the, the word covetousness to us, he says just, you know, thou shalt not covet. He says, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's slave, your neighbor's possessions. The point he's making is when you start looking, you see, when we look through Colossians, that's what Paul's showing us. When you start looking, then you start what? Wanting. And then when you start desiring, you start thinking. And then as you start thinking, you start doing. So here's a really helpful tip to help you deal with the temptations of this world, especially in the area of sexual realm. You ready? It's really profound. Don't look. That's why the Bible says run from sexual morality. Don't look at beautiful, handsome people. I'm just going to say it. Don't look. Some of you say, well, Pastor, I, w- I grew up learning that, you know, it's the second look that you get in trouble. <laughs> well, that doesn't help if you have a really long first look. <laughs> Some of you say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, if we read Colossians, that's kind of what basically Paul is telling us. How do you change your mentality? How do you not buy into the world? How do you put it to death? How do you cause it to die? You cut it at the root before it can ever grow, so you start by not looking. Now, you say, Pastor, you're kind of carrying that too far from that little passage in Corinthians, or Colossians. Well, go with me to Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 28. He says this. He says, but I say to you that whoever what? Whoever what? Whoever looks to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Job chapter 31, verse 1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to what? Not to look. You see, the key to walking in victory, obviously we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us overcome the lust of the flesh. We know that. We need the work of Christ in us. But many times we get to the place where we're struggling so much because we've already gone through four steps of the process. So Paul's saying, don't buy into this culture. Here's why. Because listen, that kind of lifestyle, those kinds of things will affect you. You're not going to get away with it. It's going to affect you in some way. It's going to open some doors. And not only that, you're not realizing it's going to affect your children. It's going to affect your family. So don't look. Pastor, I already have. I'm not just a person of transgression or a person of iniquity. I haven't just thought. I've 
I've acted some things out. I've done some things I'm not proud of. Is there hope for me? What do I do now? And I want the worship team to come. What do I do now? Well, I want to read to you a verse that is so amazing that, that I hadn't seen it in this light until this message. Isaiah 53, verse 5. What did we read in, in Colossians 1 and 2? Christ is the good news. And what did we learn? That he is enough. Christ is enough. That he's our completion. That we can be complete in him. Can you look with me at what Jesus did? What it shows us, his message and his, his purpose. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our what? transgressions and good news he was bruised for our what iniquities the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we have been healed that means that Jesus when he came when you receive him not only will he forgive you for the things that you have done he'll forgive you for the things you've been thinking about doing and not only that that means he has the power to heal every curse every situation everything that we've been involved in God can wipe it heal it restore it and set us free somebody say amen to that Christ is enough he's enough for you to be free he's enough to break the curse that would be passed on to your children He's enough, not just the transgressions, but the iniquities. Every part of it, every step of the process, Jesus has covered it all. Man. I'm going to give you one last thing. You see, not only is Christ, why does he want us to change our perspective? Not only is Christ a protector, but here's the second point. Write this down. Christ is a rewarder. You might say, Pastor Jared, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, you know, last or two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I was teaching on chapter two of Colossians and I talked to you about this heresy of legalism and how that people are getting caught up in, well, if I have to live a certain way and do this and do that and somehow that's how I'll be saved, that's how I'll have salvation. And we learn that it's only through Christ, that it's not of works. But Paul often will counter a teaching on grace with a teaching on now living out what God has done in you through works. Because let me tell you something, Belief isn't the only thing that's important, so is behavior. Behavior doesn't save you. Belief saves you. But here's the thing. Behavior's important too. What does the scripture say in Romans? Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So God doesn't just want you to believe. He wants you to behave. Why? Because our hate behavior we know this, we've learned this right now. Our behavior in this life affects the quality, the, the impact of our life in the world as salt and light, and it also affects our ability to live the abundant life that God has for us. You'll never live an abundant life that God has for you if you believe in Jesus, but you continue to walk in sexual sin. Because that sexual sin will destroy you, it'll destroy relationships, it'll destroy your family, it'll destroy everything around you. So God loves you, and he doesn't want you to just believe, he wants you to behave. Y'all with me? Now, here's why that's important. Many people don't know this, but when we get to heaven, there is not one judgment. There's two judgments. There's the white throne judgment. We all are aware of that, and that's the judgment based on belief. We're going to stand before God, and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, and he's going to say, those who know me, who believe in me, who have a relationship with me, you may enter into heaven. Those who do not believe in me, who do not have a relationship with me, you're entered into outer darkness. We all know that. So getting into heaven is based on 
believe. Everybody say believe. But did you know there's another judgment in heaven? And the second judgment is called the Dema Seat Judgment. In fact, let me read to you what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have in Jesus Christ. Boy, this sounds like Colossians, doesn't it? Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, this is referring to the Dema Seat judgment, on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work or behavior has any value. If the behavior or the work survives, that builder will receive a what? But if the work or behavior is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy any one who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple you see what the scripture says is listen if you believe you're going to heaven but that's not the only thing you're also going to another judgment where God is going to then judge your works now I don't know how this this you know plays out in heaven but what I do know is that for some reason God wants to give us a reward when we get to heaven and that reward obviously is meaningful and is going to be a blessing and helpful to us when we're in heaven so here's the cool thing belief gets us to heaven but behavior allows us to receive a reward in heaven so you can't work for salvation but what you can do is when your works are the kind of works that honor and glorify God. When you get to heaven, God blesses you with things. If you don't, if you live like the devil and, and you struggle and then you believe in Jesus, you're gonna, you, you call on his name, you will be saved. But you're going to miss out. You know, it's kind of like when I went to Selma and I joined the team, the basketball team, we played and I had a good season. And at the end of the season, I'd never been to one before, they had an awards banquet. And so the entire team showed up because everyone was invited to the awards banquet. We all show up, and while we're there, at one point during the, the ceremony, they called my name, I went up, and I got a reward. It was the MVP, the most valuable player. And I was all excited because I got this award. But I thought everybody got an award, and what I discovered is that all you had to do was be on the team to go to the banquet. But it was what you did on the court that determined whether you got a reward. So the question is, are you just going to be on the team and just skate into heaven? Just get there, just get by. Just get there because you believe. But yet you allow yourself to buy into the culture of this world and live like the world lives and do what the world does and, and destroy relationships and destroy yourself. Or are you going to begin to work in a way, behave in a way that honors and glorifies God and reveals him so that one day, not only will you get to the banquet, but God's going to call your name and said, well done, good and faithful servant. Are you going to experience all that is available to you? Are you going to store up treasure in heaven forever? Are you going to experience the blessing and the 
best that he has for you. Listen, it's not just belief, it's also behavior. Listen, you don't have to behave to get to heaven, it's faith that does it, not of works lest any man should boast. But I'm gonna tell you, works matter because it'll give you the best life now and it'll position you in the future to live with the rewards and the promises that God has for you. Can someone say amen?